Hello, everybody. This is Megan, and uh, we're bringing you another episode of Why Did You Read That? That's right. And I'm Peter, who's also doing that. Yes. Same activity. At the same time. Yeah, together. Yep. Team. Generally how it goes. Team up. And we're doing it again. Megan is uh, slightly hobbled because she's got a computer, but no desk. It's true. So I'm just holding it awkwardly on one arm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it looks like you're managing well. I'm doing all right. If, if I didn't know that that would be really annoying to do, I wouldn't be able to tell from watching you. But I, I know because I'm a human who's tried to do a thing before. <laughs> well, it'll be fine. I only need it for my joke and then to uh, consult for the occasional note. So I think it'll be okay. Okay. Well, so then we should do the joke. Yes, we should do the joke. Are you ready for the joke? I am ready. All right. When I was a kid, my mother told me I could be whoever I wanted to be. Turns out identity theft is a crime. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's like a, that feels like a joke that like a, a stand-up would have told. Like oh, an, yeah. Like a 1980s stand-up, except... An early Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is like a very Seinfeldian joke. <laughs> Turns out, I, I can't do the impression very well, but you can imagine, I'm sure. So, this yes. is a podcast. It is a podcast, we which you knew because you started listening to it. Yeah, I, well, I knew for several reasons. Well, but true. But you, I was talking to the person listening. Oh, okay. Not you. Fair enough. And it's not all about you. Our listener, Steve. Hi, Steve. Our listeners, Adam and Steve. <laughs> <laughs> um, we each bring four books. Mm -hmm. Then you pick two of mine. I pick two of yours. Mm -hmm. We talk about them in depth. Then we cover the other books that we didn't talk about in medium depth. Medium depth. And then slightly less depth. Yeah. We used to just basically say what they were and have like two sentences, but yeah. it seems like that portion has grown a little yeah, over. We can't time. help ourselves. So, yeah. But, uh, you know. We'll try. We'll try and talk about two in depth and then two in not depth. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's the idea. And, you know, every time it's a wild adventure to see if we succeed or not. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I don't think we're going to succeed. Okay. I'm ready. All I'm right. going to succeed this time. Eh, maybe. Depends which ones yeah. you pick. You're not going to succeed. <laughs> oh, no faith. <laughs> no faith. All right, so I believe I'm going first. Yes. All right, so here are my four. I brought Butterfly Swords by Jeannie Lin. Swords? Swords. Like swing, swing. Yes, which is a historical romance set in the Tang Dynasty. Okay. Uh, then I brought Liar City by Ali Theron, which is another romance, but this one is slightly less romancy. It's in an alternate Seattle where <laughs> empaths exist and... <laughs> They can, so they can like feel your emotions and there's this big political pushback against them and then a series of murders. Is the space needle like a space uh, knitting needle instead no. or something? It's pretty much Seattle space exactly nail. as Seattle is, except that empaths are a thing. Okay. So. That feels like a missed opportunity, but okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> That's my review of okay. that book already. <laughs> I'm glad that you have an opinion. The space nail, the space tack. Speaking of nails, interestingly, that's a nice segue. Uh, my next book is Rain by it's a based on a novella by Joe Hill mm -hmm. that was adapted into a graphic novel by David Boer and Zoe Thorogood who did the illustrations. And it's set in Boulder, interestingly. Colorado. Boulder, Colorado. Okay. And all of a sudden it starts raining nails. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 
like deadly rain of nails? Oh, or? yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't want to get hit with the nails. That's fair. They're yeah, like little crystal true. spike nails. They're okay. not good. And then finally, The Man I Never Met by L. Cook, which is um angstier sort of contemporary romance. Mm. Little emo vibe? Not really emo, but it definitely hits you in the feels. Oh, okay. Well, I want to hear about Nail Rain first. Of, I'm shocked to hear Rain? It. So that's R-A-I-N? Yes, Rain. Okay. By Joe, uh, well, written by Joe Hill, adapted by David Boer, illustrated by Zoe Thorogood. Uh, so it's, the main character is Honeysuckle Speck. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> Honeysuckle Speck. Okay. Honeysuckle Speck. Does Honeysuckle go by Honey for short? No, I'm pretty sure she just goes by Honeysuckle. It does seem, when I said it, I was like, Honey does seem like something I wouldn't really want to be called for short. But then I was like, but also, if my name was Honeysuckle, who knows? All bets are yeah. off. I went to high school with a Honey. Really? Yeah. Someone who's just named Honey. Just named Honey. Hmm. I went to high school with someone named Candy Mallow. Hmm. Yeah. I went to high school with someone named December Christmas Carol. <laughs> no, you didn't. I did. And that's how you began your love of romance novels. No, she was, she was not a nice person. <laughs> December Christmas Carol? Yeah, I only knew her as December Carol. And then she would talk sometimes about how her middle name was Christmas. So she may, for all I know, she made that up. But why would you do that? I mean, people do that all the time. <laughs> December Christmas Carol. Yep. <laughs> anyway this doesn't matter none of this matters so um yeah those are my four okay and you wanted to hear about rain first yes okay so honeysuckle speck she lives in boulder and she's it opens on the day that her girlfriend is going to be moving in with her so um yolanda rusted is her girlfriend and a honeysuckle comes from a family that was not particularly supportive of her being gay so she's been alone for a long time and you have this new family, Yolanda's family has kind of embraced her. And so she's feeling like she's part of a family for the first time in a really long time. And uh, she's in this, you know, very happy romantic relationship. Like their life is just beginning. Mm-hmm. And this is a Joe Hill story. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I, you know, normally I'd be like, good for her. But yeah. I'm like, I have a feeling this is going to come crashing down. <laughs> yeah, it does. In spectacular fashion. Yeah. It goes from like an August day in Boulder, not a cloud in the sky. You know, we all know 92 degrees, not a cloud in the sky. Everyone's outside because this is Boulder. Mm-hmm. Nobody's inside. Throwing um, around a Frisbee. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about doing the weirdness. The benefits of hemp rope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's what, a what like a neighborhood things? cult that's out like doing their oh, cult yep. thing. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's Boulder. Trying to find somewhere to park yep. for free, which is impossible in Boulder. Yep. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Honeysuckle's waiting for Yolanda to get there with her mom and their car full of stuff. And um, she, there's all the, you know, a little bit of thunder. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's strange. There's not a cloud in the sky. And uh, Yolanda gets there and they celebrate, you know, and um, the next door neighbor kid who had is he's like getting over an illness and he's on antibiotics. He's not supposed to be in the sun. It gives him like a sun, mm. you know, sensitivity, which I've read oh, on some okay. of the antibiotics, you know, gotcha. I've gotten that warning. So her neighbor is like, get back in the garage. You're not supposed to be in the sun. So Honeysuckle's like, I'll get him back in the garage. So she's taking him back in the garage. Yolanda's unloading the car. 
And all of a sudden, all these little like crystal spikes start raining out of the sky. <laughs> you don't laugh. It's terrible. <laughs> well, I'm picturing it like as a movie, mm. you know, and you're like, oh, okay, so we've got like a little, a cute little kid, you know, mm. we've got like, yeah. Yeah. And this sort of so wholesome they're inside, scene. The neighbors and then... <laughs> inside, but pretty much everyone else in Boulder is like outside. Yeah, of course. Let's be honest. Yep. Um, and so these these spikes i think he said it the first time it rains it was eight minutes so this eight minute flurry of like these crystal spikes that just just right into your skull just okay. right into everything so these aren't like literal nails from the hardware store right. no okay yeah and there is some like hand wavy science where it's like this sometimes ha and it does sometimes happen over like volcanoes Okay. You know, where like sure. certain certain sediment, a mix of sediment and whatever will happen and then it will rain like these crystal shards. Just in case you didn't consider being right on a volcano a dangerous situation. Right, right. Here's another option for a way to get killed <laughs> on a volcano. So this is just basically a situation where Joe Hill was like, sometimes it happens in nature, hand wavy, it's happening. That's you fair. Know? Yeah. Um, and so everyone, including her girlfriend, spoiler alert, gets like horribly killed by these spikes. Like shredded. Oh, yeah, it's bad. Mm. So if you're looking for a happy story, this is probably not your one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so Honeysuckle is like paralyzed with grief and then decides she can't like everyone's trying to call everyone. So getting a hold of anyone by phone is difficult. Um, and like planes have been taken down by these spikes and they're spreading across the country and um so she decides that she needs to try and find uh yolanda's dad and tell him what happened mm. and so she's going to walk to denver from okay Boulder. and so that's that's the crux of the story and i don't want to get it's based on a novella there's not a whole lot of plot so that's about as far as i want to go but okay but yeah that's the that's the general gist kind of a questy thing mm -hmm danger around every turn mm -hmm. i really like the illustrations the the characters are super cute you know like it's it's nice to look at it's uh and then there it, it's not horribly gory but you are gonna see like people's eyeballs getting torn out by spikes and stuff so that's what i was gonna ask about yeah it's like you almost read my mind of like what's the gore like i'm curious yeah sometimes you read a comic and then it's like a gore sequence comes up and you're um invincible is a great example of mm -hmm. this where because like the drawings are very candy colored and simple line drawings and then someone will get like their skull punched out of their head and you're just like whoa yeah i was not, <laughs> I was not expecting that yeah you're, you're gonna get the gore um i read some reviews online just to see what other people are saying about this and there were a couple of people who were like there could have been more gore and i'm like eh. you know for the I gore hounds the there could it. always be more gore yeah there's very rarely a book. It's like you have to read something by like Edward Lead where it's like, you know, I don't think there could have been much more. <laughs> <laughs> I don't it, any more would have been obviously squeezing it in, wedging it in. Where it yeah. didn't need to be. Well, and I, I don't think that the gore is the point of this story, honestly, yeah. myself. Right. I think it's a lot more about this character and. Like he's make he's dancing around the issue of environmentalism, mm. you know, and some of that and um, politics. And mm. so it's for me, it's more about like grief and. And loss and a lot like trauma. Sure. So I don't think you need to see like 
17 different panels of people getting punched through the head with a nail to kind of get the point. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. But that's that's just not me. what it's about. Yeah. <laughs> that's just me, you know. <laughs> Such a Puritan. <laughs> I know. What can I say? All right. So that's nails. It's rain. Rain. Sorry. Why yeah. did I think it was? Okay. Rain. Yeah. If you search for Rain by Joe Hill, you'll get that and you'll get Strange Weather, which is the um, book that it was originally published oh, in as okay. a novella. Gotcha. Which I have not read. So for you non-comics people. Yeah. You can still get the story. Uh, just turn this off now because I'm about to tell you my book. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, well, I do have one that's not a comic book. Okay. So this is my classy non-comic book choice. It is classy. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes by Jeff Strand. <laughs> classy. So classy. <laughs> this is a novelization of the, I think, 1968 movie, Attack mm -hmm. of the Killer See, Tomatoes. I guess 70s, so. The famously, you know, very indie movie that has, you know, like no budget. Mm-hmm. Um, I am very aware of it. I remember seeing it in like video stores when I was younger and video stores were a thing, but I've never seen it. It has a, it has like this weird pop culture presence because uh, then there were, I think there's like five movies in the saga. <laughs> really? That I did not know. And it's the, I think the saga. second one, which is like Return of the Killer Tomatoes <laughs> or something that was actually got fairly popular somehow. Wow. Maybe that's the one I remember seeing. Because this be. would have been like the 80s, early 90s, maybe. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes has like a mostly black cover. And then it's like a big tomato, like washing up on the beach with like okay, a cartoony mouth. No, this mouth. was more like a cartoon of a tomato, like rolling around or something. There's the it's Return like, is it's like flying out of a can. Maybe and that's kind of like, yeah. So I bet could, that's the one. Um, anyway, so <laughs> Jeff Strand ended up writing a novelization of this movie like 40 years later, 50 years later. So this is a new novelization. This is just coming out. All right. This will be, it's like wide release in April. If you ordered ah. it directly, let's just say someone was like a <laughs> Jeff Strand super fan. Hmm, who could that be? <laughs> who, who are you referring to? And, you know, ordered the copy straight from the publisher that's, like, designed to look like a mass market paperback, complete with cover design that makes it look like it's been folded and bent. You might have it already if you're that person. Just just spitballing, just throwing just, out yeah. possibilities. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, my next is Supergirl World of Tomorrow by Tom King. Okay. So this is a Supergirl comic. Uh, it's kind of a standalone graphic novel. Um, Tom King has done a bunch of graphic novels of mm -hmm. like what I would call third tier DC characters. Your Adams Strange, your um, Omega Men, your uh, he did a Marvel Vision series, and this was before Vision was like in WandaVision. Is this like the thing that kind of inspired some of WandaVision? Yes, I've read that one. Yeah, so that's him. Okay, so he did a Supergirl book. Okay. Um, and it's got Supergirl stuff in it. Okay. Uh, then I did Gender Queer by, I think the name is Maya Kobabi. Okay. I'm not sure exactly how it's said. M-A-I-A-K-O-B-A-B-E. Okay. Um, this is about Maya's, I don't know what you'd call it, journey to self-discovery. That's it. <laughs> That was awful. This sounds like a, a very special episode of Blossom. I really found myself. <laughs> um, Maya Kobabi is self-described genderqueer, doesn't 
fit into uh, the, you know, sort of, I don't know, tidy definitions. The binary? Of not, yeah, the binary, but not even like the spectrum. Okay. I think the Maya's place on the spectrum is kind of like, you know, okay. like. Like not, this doesn't mean anything to me. Maybe. Yeah. Like these, these, uh, spots that you commonly see people on this spectrum none of these seem to speak to my experience okay um so it kind of picks up from when maya's like a, a kid going through like graduating college ish and sort of how that all okay plays out over that time okay um and you know that's the one that's been a lot of controversy and things yeah, surrounding it's been a hot it button so book. yeah so I decided to read it because I was like, I want to see what all the fuss is about. All right. And the last one is Batman the Dark Knight Detective, um, which is basically Batman comics from this, uh, I'm going to call it Batman's awkward adolescence. <laughs> it okay. was from a period when like Batman was not quite Dark Knight, like, uh, you know, when Tim Burton's movie came out, it was like a darker Batman mm -hmm. than you had in the, like the, the comics. Then like the 60s, the Adam West. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, you had the 60s Adam West. You had the 1989 Tim Burton. This is like dead center between those two and okay. trying to like mesh the elements of the two. And it's kind of awkward and kind of great. Okay. <laughs> so those are my books. All right. <laughs> you just made it look like... Why don't you give me something I can actually pick? <laughs> no, I can pick out of these, but <laughs> I'm like, that's a spectrum there. Of yeah. Odd and odd. And then you throw in the, the hand grenade of the hot button book. Yeah. So you know what? I'm going to step on that landmine. Let's talk about genderqueer. Okay. Genderqueer. Okay. So I, you know, honestly, I read this because I didn't. I don't necessarily think it's for me. I think it's more of probably a teen level thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I just was like, as a, you know, someone who, as a former teen librarian, mm -hmm. I was like, well, I want to see what the fuss is about. Right. Well, so, and you hear a lot about it. Like, everyone's talking about it. So you hear about a thing so many times and you just get curious. Yeah. And I saw, <laughs> I read a very long report by like a parent group and it had some panels from Genderqueer in it. And I was like, Hmm, these these are uh there's a lot of sexual content in these panels. But I was like, but what's the context here? Like right. I need to know I need to know more. Right. I want to find out for is myself. Is this indicative of the whole thing or is this just cherry picked out? Yeah. Um so I'm gonna call the protagonist slash author Maya and not use a pronoun because Maya uses a pronoun that is not a he, she, or a they pronoun. Okay. But I can't remember which one it is. Okay. So in my best attempt to be respectful of that, I'll just say Maya, Maya, okay. Maya a lot. So if I'm awkwardly talking because I've backed myself into a pronoun corner, <laughs> you'll know why okay. I'm tripping over myself. Fair enough. Um, so it's basically, it's a graphic novel memoir. Okay. So it's about Maya's um, childhood. Then a lot of it is probably focused on the years between like, 13 and 18 mm -hmm. is, I think, the bulk of it. And a lot of it is about sort of Maya reconciling uh, how Maya feels and how my, the gender Maya was assigned at birth. Maya's parents are very, um, they seem like very nice hippies. 
Okay. And so they're they're pretty like accepting of things. They're pretty like whatever, you mm-hmm. know, like um for example, when Maya's uh still pretty young, but maybe like 6 or 7, it goes on a school trip to the beach and uh takes off most of their cl- her Maya's Maya takes off most of Maya's clothes. <laughs> That's why I had to put in that little caveat yeah, cuz I yeah. was like this is going to come out weird. Um you know, including being topless. And so, you know, the other, like the other teachers or people in the class are like, what are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not supposed to be topless on the beach. Stuff like that, you know, and just okay. like weird sort of things like that. Um, At six, that seems a little like. Eh. Yeah, it wasn't like they didn't make it seem like, you know, Scandal. there were parents like okay. chasing with pitchforks and stuff. <laughs> it was more just like. Oh, that's a little odd. Yeah. You know, and so at this point, they're still treating Maya like with girl gender roles. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, uh, Maya's being, Maya's pretty much treated as a girl probably until like age, I don't know. Seems like maybe mid to later teens. Okay. The ages aren't like super, you know, sure. In the book, it's not like. Chapter 15. I'm 15. Yeah. You know, August 1993. Yeah. Yeah. But I think a lot of that is because Maya seems confused about. Sure. Uh, you know, I think Maya grew up probably in the like late 90s, early 2000s. And right. at that point, there still was a lot less. Yeah. The conversation wasn't very nuanced. Yeah. Yeah. And like had never heard of some of these things like there are pronouns other than, you know, he, she whatever even they like i don't even think that the the singular they was commonly it was not yeah it was not something you heard very often um so anyway i thought it was interesting um it definitely presents um a singular person's journey Mm -hmm. and i think that in that way it's a very good like memoir kind of book i think um to sort of talk to the controversy around it I do think it's probably not super appropriate for most kids. And by kids, I mean children. Yeah. Um, There is some pretty uh, frank sexual stuff in here. And it's stuff that I would say is like, for me, it's not about the uh, genderqueer slash, you know, sexuality not being straight sexuality thing. If this sort of thing was in a memoir that was between two straight people... I would still be like, eh, you know, I don't think that's yeah. for kids. Like, right. That's probably it's it's not what I would call like a gentle introduction to the idea of gender and sexuality. Like, okay. if that's what you're looking for. There's probably something that's a right. better choice. This is the deeper end of the pool. Yeah, okay. I think so. I think, you know, where it gets a little like more nebulous is in the teen realm. Yeah. I'm like, because I think probably for some teens. Yeah. Some teens probably not. And so if you're not sure, I mean, like, pick it up with your teenager and, like, read it together. You don't have to read it together, like... At the same time. Yeah, you yeah. have to, like, literally read it out loud. <laughs> I, if my mom tried to do that to me as a teenager, I'm, like, tucked into bed and she's reading out yeah. loud to me, I'd be like, no. Well, it's like, it gives everyone flashbacks to watching R-rated movies with your family where you're just like, awkward. That's the thing about it, because I'm like, well, you should read it and talk to your teen about it. But also, I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would have wanted to talk to my mom about this, per se. Yeah. But, you know, it would. 
I guess it's like, I think if you read it as an adult, you'll know whether or not yeah. your teen's up for it. Like, Yeah, parents know their kids better than you yeah. do. And to give you an example, it's like um, my brother has a son who is like, he's very sensitive to like conflict in books. So mm-hmm. he likes reading comics, but he kind of just wants it to be like a fun, happy, happy time. Yeah. He doesn't, you know, he's not really into like, he gets like stressed out when it's like, Dr. Doom's going to blow up the world. Like, I hate this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you just got to pick things for him that are like okay. suited to him yeah. where he's at. And I know other boys his age are probably like, yes, more punching, please, you know, yeah. and whatever. So I think the thing is to me, it's like, I think the controversy has feels to me like a big misunderstanding. It yeah. feels like people misunderstanding the difference between children and teens. Mm-hmm. And there's a pretty significant difference there. And I think the other part of the misunderstanding is like, I don't necessarily think gender queer is like meant to be a guidebook for like, this is how gender and sexuality works. Right. I think it's more just a window into Maya's experience of this is what it was for me. Yeah. And you know, it's, um, well, it's a memoir. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think when you're looking at it from that point of view, it's like, okay, well, that's why this is in here. That's why that's in here. Right. That's why Maya says these things and not these right. things, you know, and it's one person's experience of, yeah. Yes. And like, you know, if that's a topic that you're interested in, I think it is an interesting window into uh, a unique person, but also like a unique memoir and that it's like, there's not a lot of books like that. Yeah. That kind of frankly discuss it the way that Maya does. So I thought it was good. I would have liked a little bit more of, there were a few sequences where you get glimpses of Maya as like a whole person in that. You know, like Maya becomes very obsessed with One Direction at one point (laughs) or like with, uh, you know, online fan fiction and a couple other things like that. And Teen's going to teen. Exactly. (laughs) And I think I would have liked, I think those elements I would have liked a little more. Yeah. Because I think that would have helped me um, and would help some readers identify more Mm -hmm. and be like, okay, like this is a whole person, you know, and this memoir is about gender and sexuality in a lot of ways, but it's about a, like a real, it makes Maya feel like a real person. Right. It's like characterization, right. which is weird to say, cause Maya is a real person, right. but you know what I mean? I do. Yeah. Um, I would have liked a little more of that, okay. but you know, that's, that's my worst complaint about the book. So. All right. <laughs> I mean, if that's the worst you can say about something, then. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah. And so, like, I would encourage people to take a look at it and, like, not just listen to um, somebody. I wouldn't just listen to someone who's saying, like, this is going to ruin our children. Right. I also wouldn't listen to somebody who's like, this is the guidebook to the new millennium. Right. You know, like, it's somewhere in between those two things, yeah. as most controversial things Well, are. I was going to say, like, this is always the case when it comes to books that people, you know, want to limit access to. It's always just a, a book in the end. Like, yeah, it's not going to save the world and it's not going to doom the world. It's like, it's a, a book. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, it, you know, it was it was challenging for me in that I was like, I can see why some people are like opposed to. Um, I, 
if I was hearing like this is being given to fourth graders, I'd be like, really? Like that doesn't seem yeah. quite right. But I don't think that's what's happening. Yeah, I think I don't everyone's think so saying our children, but what they mean is my eighteen-year-old right. who's still my child, but right. you know, is not a child. Right. So, um, but yeah, it's good. It's like a quick read too. Yeah. And you know, for me, it was like, uh, I guess, just a lot of like ideas and feelings that have never come up for me in my personal life so right. it was kind of like a opportunity to think about new yeah things new yeah. experiences maybe yeah just to see what it, that's like yeah and you know they're just like little things that i could agree or disagree with maya about but yeah overall i was like oh that was interesting okay and i think this is available on hoopla so you could get it today even and not have to wait yeah with your library card, of course. With your library card. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a uh, gender queer. Okay. Yeah, that's one that I've been meaning to check out too. Um, for the same reason, like you hear enough about a thing and you just want to see for yourself. I thought it was pretty good. It did. There. <laughs> it did make me feel like an old man. Yeah. Because not because of like the content, but because the way it was presented. I think that it was originally written and drawn as like uh you know short stories okay. kind of like mended together mm -hmm. so it felt a little to me it reminded me of like scrolling through tiktok where it's kind of like boom here's a thing and then boom here's another mm -hmm. thing and they went chronologically but they weren't necessarily like one thing Directly represents connected. as many years as the next yeah right. sometimes they were completely you know one story in the middle of two others and they had no real connection to each other okay and I think that's just a style thing yeah. that makes me feel old because yeah. it's like, I think this is how people experience media more now. I think you're right. So, But yeah, I also struggle with like the fire hose of, you know, of social media being blasted at my face. Yeah. Yeah. It was like sort of the difference between listening to an album versus listening to a playlist, you know, where right. you're just like, here's a thing, then here's a thing and here's a thing. And they're all kind of about the same thing, but kind of not yeah i don't know missed the playlist yeah i missed the mixtape yeah me too but i'm pretty solidly gen x so well i miss you know yeah when i remember my brother got like a computer to go to college and it had like a cd burner on it yeah. and i was it like blew my emotions oh yeah it was a whole new world but it was so funny because you had to sit there you had to like okay i'd have 10 cds mm -hmm. And I'd have to put in like, all right, here's CD one. Mm -hmm. I want track five yep. and then program that. And it would like basically in real time yep. do it. And then you'd put in the CD to burn. And it worked like 30% of the time. <laughs> Half the time it just failed. Yeah. Probably because the CDs were like cheap and stuff. And Yeah. Or like scratched all time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh, those were the days. Well, old. you know, I had the double cassette player where you had to hit record and play at the same time. Oh like, yeah, those were those were my days. Oh yeah, I had that too. Yeah, I just uh, bought, but then I ended up having to return. I got, <laughs> I went to the thrift store and they had a two hundred and fifty disc CD changer, and it was like twenty dollars. And I was like, what are the chances that this actually works? And I was like, seems low, but twenty bucks. I'm gonna risk it. Yeah, yeah. did it work? Did not work. Mm. Not only did it not work, it like, uh kind of destroyed the cd i put inside mm. which fortunately was a best of pantera 
CD that I left in my girlfriend's car um, because we used to go to Panera every Sunday. Yes. And I was like, we should play Pantera on the way to Panera. Yeah, we've had this conversation and I'm not sure I'm interested in having it again. <laughs> Get in there. But so that was the CD I kind of destroyed. So I was like, well, easy come, easy yeah. come. <laughs> Rest in peace. Yeah. I had this whole fantasy life built around this 200 disc changer, though. I was like, I'm going to be listening to this thing. It's just going to play entire albums. 200 discs. I was like, I need to start getting albums from the thrift store. Press play and have it run for the rest of your life, practically. Yeah. Yeah. But sadly, it was not to be. All right. Well. (laughs) There you go, everybody. (laughs) So that's a a book I do recommend and an experience I don't recommend. Buying a 200 disc changer at the thrift store. Okay. Okay. I want to hear about... Do you need a reminder? Yeah. So I have Butterfly Swords. Okay. I have Liar City. And I have The Man I Never Met. Liar City. That Liar was the City. One I wanted, yeah. All right. This one was really good. And it's the timing is right because it's out next Tuesday. That's Alternate Seattle, right? Alternate Seattle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is out next Tuesday. It's not quite out yet. This is one that I got sent early for review. So Is Tuesday book release day? Yes. Huh. Generally. There are some people like... Your James Patterson sometimes will come out with a Rogue Monday release, but... Well, he's just like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, they're like, it's James Patterson. It doesn't matter. We do what we want. I picture, like, the James Patterson publishing thing is just, like, someone pulls a big crank, and it's, like, the bomb doors <laughs> open on the back of a huge plane, and they just go yep. out the back. Yep, yep. I suspect it's not that different. <laughs> but, yeah, generally, books are released on Tuesday, and actually, like... um Movies on DVD and Blu-ray generally as well. Oh yeah, okay. Tuesday is release day. I used to work in retail. Everyone, these are these are the things that you learn. Something you have to know. Yeah, I, I think didn't music used to be Tuesday as well, yeah, right? Yeah, but yeah. then they were like, "Why aren't we doing this on Friday? Shouldn't we do this on Friday?" And now it's Friday. Is it Friday? Mm-hmm. I thought it was just a wild west of whenever it happens to go up because the whole CD industry has well, yeah. fallen into I think mostly they do Friday, but then probably the, you know, people as big as James Patterson. And I think Taylor Swift puts out an album whenever, whenever she, she feels like it. Yeah, She's like, I Be- feel like doing Beyonce's, it today. Yeah, Beyonce is like, like, I feel like now. <laughs> when is album release day? When Beyonce decides. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> who's going to be I like. I think you reach a certain level and you're just like, I do what I want. Yeah. Right. Well, who's going to come? It's like RIAA is going to come to Beyonce and be like, why do you keep doing this? Yeah. <laughs> I think they're just blowing like, up our whole thank system. Thank you for, for maintaining your business relationship with us. If you could just keep making music, yeah. that'd be lovely. We'd be happy. <laughs> whatever, whatever you want. <laughs> you want to release it at midnight on a Wednesday in like the Go dead of January? Awesome. Yeah. We're happy with that. Sounds rad. <laughs> See you then. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so yeah, Liar City out on Tuesday. Um, so it's this, it's basically the world as we know it, except for the fact that there are people walking around who are empaths and they can kind of sense your emotions if they touch you skin to skin. Mm. Um, and there are a lot of people who are uncomfortable with the thought that some random stranger could know how you feel by touching you. So there's become this big push. First of all, there's all this legislation that empaths have to wear these special gloves all the time 
that um so that they won't like accidentally read people or accidentally on purpose read people okay so empath empaths are identifiable by these special gloves that they walk around wearing okay and now there's an increasing push um from a certain political there's a political movement where it's like we should be legislating them even more like we should they're they shouldn't be allowed to run for public office they shouldn't be allowed to you know fill in the blank like these people could be dangerous and we need to keep them apart from the rest of us as much as possible. Okay. So is this like a, is this like a thing where it's like the empaths are not actually dangerous? Like generally just kind of like being jerks, I guess for lack of a better thing. Well, it it gets a little more complicated the more that you read, but generally empaths are pretty like, if they're just sensing your emotions, like they can't influence your the way that you feel. There's, I think, a fear that they can make you feel something. Oh, um, I see. Okay. And that's not generally possible. Like okay. they're really just, and they tend to be like very into nonviolence. Mm-hmm. They're very like they tend to be they're just, very empathic. <laughs> yeah, they tend to be just like the nicest people in the world because they want people to feel. Like they know okay. what it feels like to feel terrible, okay, because they have this empathic ability, and so they like they are they don't they don't speed, they don't smoke, they don't you know cuss people out, right, like they're very much um like someone could attack them, and they generally won't do anything because they don't want to cause any harm, gotcha, yeah, okay. I was trying to figure this out because I'm like, you know, my point of reference is like X-Men. Yeah. You know, and it's like they hate mutants in X-Men comics. And then sometimes you're like, really? Because, you know, it's like they don't. They don't their powers are not dangerous or anything. But then once in a while you have like a a juggernaut Mm -hmm. and it's like, I just watched that guy like run through a building and then the building fell over. Like, okay, that. It's hard for me to stand here and say, like, they're fine. Yeah, he's not dangerous. <laughs> he doesn't need to be regulated. Yeah. <laughs> he's just doing what a juggernaut does. Right. So, yeah. Okay. It's, it's not entirely, it's not that different. Okay. Generally, empaths are, are super, like, gentle and not a danger to anybody. Okay. Um, and so the main character, um, let's see, I wrote down his name, Reese. He's an empath. Uh, his sister is a cop. She's, I believe, a homicide detective. And um, so, which is an interesting thing for an empath to be so closely connected with someone who deals with violence a lot. Mm. But because of their connection, there have been, there's been the occasional s- situation where she's called him in on a scene because there will be like a victim that they're having trouble reaching. And as an empath, like he's able to maybe get some information out of them that might help them solve, you know, certain cases. Okay. So he's also unusual in that he is able to sense lies. If someone tells him a lie, he immediately knows it. Okay. Which they think is connected to his empathy, but is not something that is usually, that's not a usual thing. Okay. You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. There's, there's big construction happening. (laughs) And so sometimes this microphone thing starts like just wobbling. Oh, okay. <laughs> nothing you were doing. It was okay. just like this thing was like in my face. Just... Sorry. That's okay. 
<laughs> so they've brought him onto crime scenes to kind right. of help with uh, yeah. victims and yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. And and he's like one of two empaths in Seattle. So they're, it's not like they're like Oh, so there's not like a ton rampant. of these yeah. people. They're, they're, you know, they're around, but it's not like they're half the population or anything like okay. that. Uh, and there is this like figure of fear and myth called the dead man who is like believed to be a government operative who is strictly tasked with dealing quote unquote with empaths right all right yep <laughs> so the the story opens and reese has been called to the scene of a murder and it opens up a lot of doors like the person who was murdered was part of this push to regulate empaths more mm. and so the fact that he was there there's questions there's it's like an empath was involved mm -hmm. uh and the dead man shows up and so um he this it gets complicated like it, <laughs> it rolls out really and it makes a lot of sense but i'm like how far do i how far do i go to like entice people to read this really exciting like murder mystery slash romance novel mm -hmm. um so the dead man is Reese is afraid he's there to like unalive him, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but to it, deal with him. Exactly. Yeah. Because yeah. that's generally what like the the legend says if the dead man shows up, like gotcha. you know, too bad for you. Um and for a while, like they end up like running around Seattle together and the dead man whose whose real name is Grace and is like keeping Reese very close and like keeping an eye on him, and it almost feels like he's assessing you know what's going on with reese and they're investigating this murder and it becomes fairly clear that there is something else happening around this murder that may involve directly or indirectly empathy mm. and um it turns into it's the first in a series or the first in a planned series and it you there's no like direct romance between grayson and reese but you get the sense that they have chemistry and it feels like that's a direction that it's going to start taking um, but for this first book, it's a lot of like this political conspiracy around empathy and this murder investigation, you know, all surrounding this this special talent of of empathy. And it's really interesting. I've never read anything quite like it. You know, this yeah. this idea of of empathy and what it can become and what it can do. And, you know, interesting. Yeah. Sounds like a sounds weird. But in a good yeah, way. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and the characters are really interesting. Like having Reese, who is the most pacifist, pacifist you ever pacifist, you mm -hmm. know, like it's I've never read anybody quite like that. And it makes sense for his character because he's so tapped into emotions and he doesn't want to cause anyone harm. And so, like, he won't get into a car with someone who will speed because they could run into someone and kill them. And, he, you know. So it's like the empathy thing is gift slash curse yeah, situation. Yeah. yeah, he won't park in a handicapped spot even with a cop because what if someone who needs it comes along and then they, you know, struggle to get into the building because we took the, the spot. And, like, he's very, very principled, like hyper principled. Gotcha. Yeah. But maybe sometimes to a fault. Yes. To yes. where it's like, hey, listen, yeah. you're making your life a lot more difficult. Right. Than We're it running needs to, to be. a crime scene where we might be able to save a life, and speeding maybe is the lesser of two yeah. evils here. That's probably yeah. okay. Yeah. This is <laughs> kind of why with that. speeding is a thing. Yeah. <laughs>
right. But yeah, it's pretty, pretty unique. Cool. It's not the most romancy romance I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Um, but for people who really like a strong mystery, um, I think that it it looks like it's going to develop into a a really good series with two characters who have some interesting chemistry and a lot of like push pull in their roles. So. I like that. I like that you brought this book because I feel like it's a book that's like good, but challenging probably for people to like blurb or review yeah. or thing, you know, because yeah. there's like a lot going on. So it's, it's unusual. Hard to sum it up. And Allie Theron is kind of known for that. She's written some historical, like queer fantasy romance with some mystery. Like it's always very, um, it's always very genre blendy. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot going on and it's not a simple like, oh, well, this is a story about like this girl who owns a whatever shop and meets this guy who, <laughs> right. you know, and then they they start to flirt. Like she owns a, a stationary store and he runs a computer store. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> how are they going to get along in the age of the dawn of electronic mail? Right. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's more complicated than that, and it's like high concept and nice, um, but really cool. And I'm I'm interested in reading the rest of the series. So sounds which, like a winner. Yeah, it'll be a bit of a wait because, like I said, out on Tuesday. Yeah, it's not even actually out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Um, do you need a review? I did. You, I think I remember, but hit me with the titles just just in case. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Right. Right. <laughs> Supergirl World of Tomorrow. And Batman the Dark Knight Detective. All right. I'm kind of interested in this um in this Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, but I think I would rather hear about the Batman. Okay. So Batman Dark Knight Detective, this is something I read on Hoopla, and it's okay. available. It, there's several of them. So several different several volumes okay, that gotcha. go through sort of Batman history. So This is in a very weird era of comics, especially DC Comics, known as the post-crisis era. Okay. So in the 80s, there was this event that DC Comics did called Crisis on Infinite Earths. Okay. Um, Basically what happened was, um, so DC Comics had been running for quite a long time by the 80s. And what they'd done in the past is they'd told some stories and then, you know, writers would be like, the way that they sort of got out of a story where they were in a corner or something is they would be like, that was Earth 3, you know? (laughs) And so, quote unquote, our Earth is like Earth 1 or Earth Prime. Okay. And then there are these other Earths. Um, And uh, so at some point in the 80s, they decided like, there's way too much stuff going on. And like now you can't like read a DC comic book unless you go back like 25 years. Right. You're not going to know what is going on. I mean, that's a big barrier to entry to comics. It's part of why I don't really read superhero comics. Yeah. And so this was like, you know, they had done this before. They had done some kind of reset, we can call it before, where mm-hmm. it's like, okay, we're going to kind of make the characters you know, as they were originally or sort of as they are now. And then uh, Marv Wolfman, the unlikely name of the guy who wrote Crisis on Infinite Earths. Is is this his real name? Yes. Wow. (laughs) Um, He he might be Marv Wolfman. But you like Wolfman. I mean, it's literally Wolfman. But um, (laughs) he he 
did an interview or an, in an introduction to that book, he was kind of like, I think each generation of comic readers kind of deserves its own set of heroes and like its own re- fresh start. Right. Like a kid who picks up a comic book today shouldn't have to like read every comic book that I read when I was a kid up till now to know what is going yeah, on. That seems fair. So they did this crisis on infinite earths. Things changed and basically we collapsed down to one earth. You okay. know, so they were like, let's just get rid of all that stuff and, you know, whatever. Done. So um, this had, like, significant changes for several characters. But Batman was really pretty similar. Okay. Um, and so then he was in this very awkward phase because he was coming out of the Batman 66 TV show and the old chum stuff and right. holy whatever Batman. Blammo. Blammo, pow, biff, bam. Yeah, exactly. Um, And but he hadn't quite entered. So the same year that this volume came out was Frank Miller's uh, Dark Knight Returns, which is the story of Batman as an older man. Right. And he like comes out of retirement um, to fight monsters. Right. And it's great. But it's like a very dark, very gritty version of Batman. There was also very shortly after this Batman the Killing Joke, which was an Alan Moore story that was pretty dark. And of course, 1989 Tim Burton Batman, which I feel like by today's standards might seem like silly. Yeah, I think it is a little. Um, But what you have to understand is in 1989, it was like, this is like extremely adult version of Batman compared to what people are used to. Right. I went to a like kid's birthday party when i was also a kid we were probably in like first grade yeah and his mom was like and we're gonna watch batman and i was like holy crap this is amazing like i (laughs) i was so excited and then she put the batman 66 movie on Mm -hmm. you know and this is like the famous with the shark repellent and the you know he's like punching a shark that's hanging off his leg and sometimes you can't get rid of a bomb (laughs) yeah and i was like what is this yeah and his mom was like, oh, you didn't think we were going to watch that other Batman, right? That's not for kids. And I, I was like, mm. I had There exists in the world a yearbook photo of me wearing Batman, like, pow earrings. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, these comics are, like, smack in the middle. Mm-hmm. So, there is some, like, there's some dark stuff in it. Like, uh, Robin... Gets shot at one point and there's kind of an issue that's basically Batman like reflecting on his life and like, is he doing the right thing? Like, should he be fighting bad guys and whatever? Right. Then there's like really goofy stuff like, you know, the Joker is in his hideout. He has a giant Joker face fireplace, you know, (laughs) the fires in his mouth and like he escapes in a Joker jet car, which has his face on the front. And you're just like, where where did he get all these wonderful toys? Like, why does he have why is everything Joker themed? Stop asking so many questions. How about that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so what I really loved about it, though, is it has this like weird mix between like the campy and the modern batman and it's kind of like there's a point where robin says like holy something something batman and batman's like what are you doing never say that again you know (laughs) (laughs) so they're like trying to move away from that but they're not there yet right and you know and some of the some of those weird tropes like the villains the way the villains are is just so ridiculous you know and um 
they've all got some big plan to like and it's always like to rob a bank though it's never like yeah to end the world yeah yeah. it's you know very batman sized things um i just found it a very enjoyable reading experience it felt it was so comic booky you know and it was so like it felt like something that you're not gonna see in other mediums you know Mm -hmm. they're never gonna make a movie from this era right based in this uh aesthetic and like they're never there's never going to be a TV show that works this way. It's kind of, it's, it's too much in the middle. Um, so it's like both cheesy and good. Like, you know, some of the stories are pretty good. Like there's a scarecrow story where, so scarecrow usually makes like fear gas that makes people right. paralyzed with fear. He reverse engineers his own formula and makes basically overconfidence gas that like <laughs> eliminates fear. And he starts by, he tries to, like, sell it to, like, a, a stunt guy, <laughs> like a, an evil Knievel type. Right. Um, but then what keeps happening is he's selling it to these performers and stuff because they're like, oh, I won't have the jitters. But then they die. I was going like, to say, like, fear serves a purpose. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, I can handle this. So he, like, doses Batman with it. And Batman's going to rescue Robin and Scarecrow has all these traps set up for him. And Batman is going through these traps with this like maniacal grin because he's like, <laughs> he's like, I can handle anything, you know, <laughs> and like, and he's like being, you know, a truck is coming and about to hit him and he waits till the last minute to jump out of the way. And he's like, in his head, he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're going to die if you keep doing this. So it's like, it's just very entertaining. Yeah. And it's like, the stories are kind of unique and unusual and they're fun right and they're not like overwrought and they're not like you know the era that would follow this is kind of the bat god era where batman's this sort of infallible uh, you know the smartest man ever the you know strongest man ever the The richest man ever the the only man who's ever dodged an omega beam you know (laughs) i don't know what that means but okay you know check out your grant morrison jla books (laughs) you'll find it okay those that you have at home. Yeah, the, the stack. I'll, <laughs> I'll dip into that stack. So anyway, I don't know. It's kind of a weird recommendation, but I think I would, I would encourage people to give it a shot because it yeah. kind of just looks like a generic Batman book. But when you get in there, you're like, oh, this is such like a, a weird niche in Batman history. Yeah. That's, but it's enjoyable. It's yeah. not like reading Detective Comics, whatever, the very first appearance of Batman where you're just like, I mean, this is like unreadable it's like reading a bunch of bazooka joe comics slapped together or something this is like very readable and fun okay cool there we go all right so that's batman the dark knight detective by mike w Barr. okay fun times okay okay so uh we talked about for my books we talked about rain by joe hill Mm -hmm. followed by liar city by ali theron Uh, And then I also brought Butterfly Swords by Jeannie Lin, which is a historical romance set in China during the Tang Dynasty, which is unusual. Um, You find that most historical romances happen in like the Regency, Mm. Victorian England, Georgian England, you know, that's or you get the occasional like Western, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But for the most part, 
that's that's the jam for for romance. And Jeannie Lynn is actually one of the people who started to change that when she published Butterfly Swords, mm. uh, which is about um, this woman named Ailee, who it opens with her. She's in a palanquin. I think that's how you say it. She's being taken to her wedding. She's supposed to marry um, this guy named Li Tao, who is a very powerful like warlord. And she's this marriage is supposed to like provide a political alliance. But she has discovered over the course of her journey that he's a bad dude who's responsible for the death of her brother and who is planning to overthrow the emperor. And so with uh, the help of one of her loyal bodyguards, um, they've arranged for it to look like her um, retinue was attacked and she was taken so that she can try to make her way back to her father and say, turns out this guy's bad guy. Okay. So she, um, she has disguised herself as a boy, which is pretty standard romance tropey stuff. Um, she's skilled with swords. She has what are called butterfly swords, which are a real, a real thing. They're like short swords and they can be, they're sheathed together. So like they can be held in one hand or separated into two swords. Hmm. Like the, the hilts kind of are flat on one end and you can like put them together and they'll be, you can use them like one sword. Okay. But they're meant to be dual handed. Okay. So she's skilled, skilled with a sword. And um, she's at a, an inn and she sees um, this white guy who's like in the ditch across from the inn because <laughs> at the time they were considered like barbarians and no one would really assort, uh, you know, associate themselves with them. So she sees him. He looks like he's starving. So she brings her food out to him and uh, gives it and he eats it. And she and her bodyguards are all leaving and he starts to feel weird. And he's like, I think they drugged her food. So he's, he decides he's going to follow. And he stumbles upon her being attacked. And because mm. she didn't eat the food, she's able to fight. But all of her bodyguards are like unconscious on the ground. Oh, so. <laughs> okay. So they drugged her. Yeah. And then they're like, all right, this lady's coming. Easy pickings. Right. She's been drugged. And then the guys fighting her are like, what happened? Yeah. They're like, <laughs> and then they fall to the ground. <laughs> And the only person who manages to keep his feet at all through some of this fight is this white barbarian guy named Ryan. And um, partway through, he collapses as well. But um, they, because he helped out, they were able to fight off, you know, these people. And she has a strong code of honor. And so she's like, I can't just leave this guy. He saved my life. And they end up... Um, she can speak English, luckily, because he speaks some Chinese, but not much. And uh, they come to a deal that he will help her, you know, move towards her her home so that she can, you know, do her duty by her family. There's a, a lot of, like, Chinese duty stuff in this. And she really should have continued on and married this guy. It's like a, an honor thing because mm. she was promised. And so even by leaving, like, she's already you know, done the, done the bad, bad thing. territory. Here. Yeah. But she's hoping that her family will understand when she gets there. And, um, there's a lot more going on with that situation that starts to come to light as they travel. But it's, uh, if you like historical romance, it's, it's a really good one. It's, um, it's set in an unusual time in an unusual place. And it's an interesting story. Uh, it reads really well. There's a lot of intrigue and 
details about China and the Tang Dynasty, and so I would recommend it. It's it's like a one of those firsts for romance. It was like um, Jeannie Lin proving that you could write about, you know, non-regency England, and people would still be into it. Nice. So, yeah. So that is Butterfly Swords by Jeannie Lin, and then The Man I Never Met by L. Cook, uh, which is. Um, a, it starts out with like one of the cutest meat cutes I've ever read because the it's this woman who lives in London and she gets this random phone call from, I think, Texas and she answers it. And it's this guy who was trying to call London for a job interview and he just misdialed. So he got her, you know, by mistake. And so they hang up and she thinks nothing of it. And then she gets a text message later that day or like later that week. And he's like, hey, I got the job. I'll be moving to London. Just wanted to let you know. Ha ha. You know? <laughs> and it slowly kind of naturally devo- like, develops into this conversation. And they start texting each other and chatting and they really like hit it off. And then that turns into video phone calls. And pretty soon it's like, I think we're into each other. And when he moves to London, like it would be a great opportunity to kind of see if this could go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so she's supposed to be picking him up from the airport and she goes and she has this like big goofy sign and he isn't there. He doesn't show up. And she talks to him on the phone and he says, I can't come to London. Something has come up. I don't want to talk about it but i'm not coming and we should probably just like break this off Mm. and it becomes very sad and then it like follows her trying to kind of figure out like trying to do some things that are going to help her move past what felt like a really like strong possibility of like a good relationship and happiness and she starts a whole new life and then some things start to come to light about what actually happened. And I don't want to, like, I don't want to spoil it, but it's very emotional. Like he has a, he has a reason, like a legitimate reason for not being there. Mm. And um, you start to figure out what that is and navigating that is not so simple, Um, but it's a really kind of beautiful and emotional love story. Nice. Yeah. It's really good. Cool. Yeah. That's kind of a range. Yeah. Range of love. Well, I haven't been reading much, so I had to reach back into some things that I read early that are just now coming out. So That's okay. It's okay to play the hits. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I talked about Gender Queer by Maya Kobabi and Batman the Dark Knight Detective Mm -hmm. by Mike W. Barr. And then I had, I didn't get to Attack of the Killer Tomatoes by Jeff Strand. Shame. Um... I would have liked to hear about it. So go for it. Well, like, as you know, I'm kind of always on a quest to find books that I think are genuinely funny. Yes. There are many, many books that are funny, but, you know, they're not like, I don't burst out loud laughing. They're like clever. They're cute. Yeah, I think but you're harder not, to amuse you know, than I am because I definitely bust out laughing. It's possible. Um, but, you know, I don't know. Humor is such like a specific thing, True. right? So... This is one that has, I've laughed out loud multiple times. Okay. So basically my understanding is that this came about because of a joke, a tweet that Jeff Strand sent out that was basically just like, how come no one has asked me to write a novelization of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes yet? (laughs) And then somebody 
who sort of like knew how to get the rights or had the rights or something tweeted back at him and was like, if you're serious, um, we could probably make that happen. And he was like, all right, let's do it. And so then he's like, you know, and then a short while after that, I was in a meeting with the people who made Attack of the Killer Tomatoes and this publisher and me. And they were like, yeah, go for it. You know, like <laughs> whatever. Um, so it was, it was, it's just so funny. And like every chapter, there's like different kinds of jokes. You know, there's jokes about, you don't have to have seen the movie. First of all, I think it's maximum enjoyment if you've seen the movie, Okay, but it's not like you won't know what's going on. And it's not like the jokes, um, the jokes that reference the movie, it's not They'll still be funny. Yeah, they're still funny. And like the things that don't really work in the book that were in the movie, he kind of just leaves out. Okay. Um, but, you know, there'll be some jokes about the movie, you know, about like them saying like, oh, we should call up 10,000 troops, you know, and they're like, we do not have the budget for 10,000 troops. <laughs> and then the other person's like, this is the book, so we could do whatever we want. It costs the same amount. <laughs> so then it's like the next paragraph, it's like, as the 10,000 troops arrived, you know, or there was like a, a sequence, you know, where it's two characters talking and they're just both like, geez, there really wasn't any joke in this sequence or whatever. It just kind of happened. Almost like to kill time to make a full 90 minute movie, you know, and um, and then there's things where like the author breaks in, you know, and is breaking it, breaking the fictional wall and like the characters break the fourth wall and it's, just, it's all over the place. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like he must have had a very good time writing this because he was just like, I'll do whatever kind of joke I want. Like, yeah, there's no there's no need to like tone it down in any way. Yeah. Um, it's just hilarious. Yeah. Well, when you're dealing with source material called Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, it's a little like, there are no rules here. Yeah. And I felt like, um, I read this interview with Jeff Strand and he was talking about how for him, like reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy mm -hmm. was like a big thing for him because he read it and he's like, I didn't know you were allowed to write books like this, <laughs> like that are just silly. Yeah. And this feels like a, a book that he's written that is that right you know where it's like i didn't know you could do this in a book like I, I don't think i've ever seen a book that is this joke heavy before right and this many different kinds of jokes and just every it's so quick and so it's very good okay the other one was supergirl world of tomorrow mm -hmm. by tom king so supergirl for me is in this category like ghost writer um of characters that i think are cool but they don't have very many good stories. Like mm -hmm. there's so few good ghostwriter comics and you're like, he's like the coolest looking character ever. Yeah. He's a flaming skull riding a motorcycle. Like what else could you <laughs> possibly ask for? But then you read the comics and you're just like, eh, you know, it's like they made it and then they're like, I don't know. <laughs> like, what do you do with this? Yeah. I mean, it's basically him driving around <laughs> and Supergirl's kind of in that same thing. Cause you're like, Okay, like, yeah, why not? You know? Yeah. This could work, but then uh, it usually doesn't. So I think this is a rare one where Supergirl is kind of a more interesting character. The way Tom King does stories is he usually has some kind of peripheral character or storytelling method. So it's not told from Supergirl's perspective. It's told from another perspective. Okay. 
And that's how this one works. It's basically a uh, non-supergirl, regular girl, I guess you would call, <laughs> from like an alien planet who's on a revenge quest. She's okay. trying to find this guy who killed her father. And uh, Supergirl has to kind of end up accompanying her. Um, the problem is this girl lived on a planet with a red sun and ah. Supergirl was there. And so if you know about super people, um, red sun basically turns them into normal people. Mm -hmm. So she is normal and has like her powers have been drained. And so they're chasing this guy. But the first step in this is they have to like get across a significant amount of the galaxy. So they have to basically take what's like a space bus <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, all the horrible things that that entails. Yeah. It's like sitting next to, you know, these aliens that are like sleeping on top of this right. girl, like on her shoulder, like taking up all her yeah. space. Eating and, unpleasant, smelly food. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, you know, they stop to like use a bathroom and they're like, be back in 15 mega par quarks or whatever. <laughs> and they're like, how long is that? And like, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, so lots of things like that. There's, you know... I think what's good about it is, like, it's a story you can read. You do not need, like, DC Comics background okay. to understand the story. Um, you don't... There are, like, really very few side characters. There's, like, uh, Supergirl, Superman, um, and then that's about it. I think those are, like, all the super characters who are in it. Okay. So you don't need... You don't need to know... Yeah. Who Mr. Terrific is. Okay. In order to like, That's good because I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Most people don't, you know. You don't need to know Mr. Terrific. You don't need to know Mr. Miracle. You don't need to know the Metal Men. All right. Um, so I think that makes it a kind of a good entry into comics for people. If, you, if you're like kind of into sci-fi fantasy, which normally I don't like the collapsing of those two, mm -hmm. but this is very much like both okay. in the same thing. Um, I think this is also a good one if you're somebody who's like, you know, I like reading comics. I think I would like superhero comics, but they just seem sort of like goofy and childish to mm. me a lot. This one's probably a little more um, sophisticated feeling. Okay. You know, and I hate to use that term because like, I have sophisticated feelings about Batman, the Dark Knight detective. Right. But... I think to most people, this would feel more grown up okay. in that way. So that's Supergirl World of Tomorrow by Tom King. Cool. And I recommend almost everything he's written. Did not like his Batman. Mm. But it was like once he left the third tier characters and went into the mainstream characters, mm. I was like, what are you doing? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you left your home. Yeah. I was like, Tom, me and you were so happy together. <laughs> <laughs> with these with these third tier heroes that you elevated and made interesting and probably DC Comics kind of let you do whatever because they were like, we're not making any money off yeah. of Adam Strange. Like, go for it. Yeah. Nobody cares about this character. The man who travels back and forth between the planet Earth and Ran on a Zeta beam every 30 days. Nobody cares. I don't know what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, Tom King. Okay. Supergirl. Very good. Excellent. All right, that's it. Yeah, that's eight it. more books. That's eight more books for your two read list, or like maybe five for your two read list. Probably some that some people are like, 
Eh, pass. Yeah. People with no taste who are going to pass on Dark Knight Detective. Wow. I, you know, whatever. You're, you're free to make your own terrible choices. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll have, we'll have eight books for you again next time. Yes, we will. And uh, we'll see you later. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.